Well, let's not talk about it too okay. much. It's true. Because it's boring. So, uh, it's true. It really is. I spent all yesterday being incredibly bored with it. Okay, see, you're talking about it. We have a short window with our good friend, uh, Rupal Shah, to hear on the SWS podcast with me, Adrian Wong, and Jacob Zimmer. You. That's and me, um, yeah. in case, before in case we get started, in case people are confused. Yeah. I just heard something last night that I thought might help us to kind of get the ball rolling. Okay. Because I was listening to my favorite podcast, This American Life, and there was, and it was a terrible one to listen to as a new parent. It was all about babies gone bad. So people who are raising, like, psychopaths who realize their children are psychopaths. But anyhow, they're talking about children and morality and that he said the surprising thing is that babies are racist. Like, babies get used to the people who the faces that surround them and mm-hmm. then if a new face comes in then it's kind of um unsettling for them mm-hmm. and i thought that's not babies <laughs> that's everybody <laughs> but that it starts at at babiness what's the point yeah. like that it's not learned in a totally rational like well i think taught racism isn't taught necessarily by like well, Dear child, we're going to have a sit-down conversation in which... No, but racism is taught that way. Mm-hmm. However... Yes, it's um, not only taught that way. Sorry, no, but what he's taught... He's actually, I think, using the word racist incorrectly. Right. Yes. Because racism has to do with power. Yes. Racism doesn't have to do with xenophobia, which is what he's mm-hmm. talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, what he's talking about is babies are, distra- are distressed by uncertainty or the unknown... And I would argue that he's using the word racist incorrectly because babies have no power. They have no con- concept of power except for their own <laughs> power. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that that makes a lot of sense because they're also can be freaked out by like people with beards. True. Babies are often freaked out by people with beards or people with long hair or mm-hmm. people with you know high voices, low voices, whatever. Anything that deviates from what they're used to. My dad visited uh, with me and my my in-common-laws on <laughs> Qualcomm Beach. And, you know, Qualcomm Beach is pretty hetero... What is it? The word I'm looking for? Homogenous in terms of what people look like. Mm-hmm. Um, and and my dad is uh, Chinese-looking, like me. and Or more so, actually. <laughs> the kids were... Like, one of the kids was actually quite frightened... Um, you know, like they're quite standoffish with him. And I think that that's what was happening. And she'd never seen anybody who looked like him before mm-hmm. and didn't quite know what to do. And did it, um, I mean, cause I, what all of this makes me think about the sort of need for exposure, mm-hmm. like that exposure is part of the solution to that problem, which is that if something is strange, the more I see it, the less strange it is. Jacob, I have some really bad news for you. Yeah, exposure is key. And then my other question for you is... But do you think we can use what we've already... Because we got some in before the... Yeah, Yeah, that was a good baby conversation. Yeah. Yeah, great. So, um, So today we're talking about the dreaded D word which is diversity, which is, you know, 
is dreaded for many reasons. But actually, I think we're. I think it's kind of more interesting to think about how we, in a more in our global world, where more and more people have the means of production, how do we look at work where we may not have an understanding of the cultural context that is coming from? That's my question coming into this. Hmm. It's a good question. <laughs> it's a really silence. tough question. It's such a tough question. That's why I sort of took a moment to think about it. Do you guys have any questions coming in today? Maybe we could just do a round of questions. Yeah, I mean, I think this started in part, you linked to Marjorie Chan's mm -hmm. response to the Martin Moreau review of The Wanderers. Mm -hmm. um, and I had some questions about that because... Well, you didn't like the show. I didn't like the show, and and I can't. It feels weird to talk about because I I left at intermission because I was going to go crazy. I also haven't seen the show, yeah. Um, yeah, and happens. I didn't I didn't read that as a response to the review right. as much as I read it as a response to so so many reviews yeah. and so 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 many opinions over the past few years from people. Um, who have been divided over shows that are happening in the city. Uh, and often the language used is not around context or understanding. It's about, well, that was a bad show. Mm. Well, if you think that was a bad show, but a whole bunch of people who went to see it who are not of your background or ethnicity thought it was fantastic, then is it a bad show? Or yeah. is it just something that you didn't understand? Or is it possibly just not a show for you? Maybe you're not the audience for that show. Mm -hmm. And I think about that a lot. I was thinking about... Well, this is good. Let's just do what mm -hmm. we're thinking. Um, I was thinking about how, um, you know, the way that we practice theater in Canada is pretty much a court form. Mm -hmm. Like like the majority of theater in Canada is is that form for the nobility you know like it's mm -hmm. not it's not the the popular strain of theater it's more of that refined that's where my understanding of the provenance comes from and so there's a way in which i really question well i don't question maybe i do question i don't know it's hard to find the right words but i wonder if we as um artists who are working in different working from different cultural contexts um, if we're conscious of what we're trying to achieve which is to infiltrate a a uh, Western European art form and to be seen or for our work to be seen and, and evaluated on equal grounds where we're actually like we're actually invade not invading is a strong word, but you know what I mean? Like we're coming in with these different cultural contexts into a specific cultural context. And that's the thing, right? Nobody ever talks about how um, the, the Western European is the default because nobody sees that because it is the default. So yeah, to talk about, I, I mean, one of the controversial things I like to trot out every once in a while is the idea <laughs> that like a bunch of like that tarragon should talk about it set, or whoever I actually like what tarragon anyways so this is why this podcast is hard um <laughs> that the like western european companies should talk about themselves as culturally specific 
Yeah, also, they never do. And they never even do. Even though they totally are. It's the same way that as a kid growing up, when people ask you what you are, where are you from, and you turn the question back on them, they always respond with, oh, I'm just, I'm just white. I don't, I'm just white. As if somehow that's not a culture, that Caucasian is not an ethnicity, and that there's nothing special about it or nothing specific about it. That the person of color is special, that their culture is special and other, and that the person you're speaking to, who's often Caucasian, that their culture and their traditions are just default. So they don't think of them as a culture. And the number of times I've heard that from people, oh, I don't have a culture. I'm just boring. I don't have a culture. I go, I'm just Canadian. I'm, I'm just Canadian. And you go, but okay, but you're also doing yourself a disservice by, by describing yourself in that way. Absolutely. I mean, and you know, except I can imagine the outrage were a major not-for-profit theater to come out and say, like, we're making theater for white people. Like, it might be true. Yes. And, and demographically, you could probably do some research and find that it's predominantly true. But the nobody would say it. Because, because if you're between... making theater for white people, you're being universal. Like, right, the... right. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And that's the major... Um, the major break in the logic. Yeah. There's also a difference between making theater for white people, as you so as you put it, I like uh, that, and making <laughs> theater by white people, and they're often not the same thing. Right. Because brown people can make theater for white people. In fact, we do it all the time. And, and white people make theater for brown people all the time, right? Like when you go to see what the audiences are at the more commercial spaces in town they're a little bit more diverse than you see in our spaces, even though most of the time it's to go see something like Riverdance. Right. Which one would argue, could argue, may come from a more populist form. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Or it's been transformed into that for us. Well, you know, any kind of folk dance is a populist form, and mm -hmm. I would argue Riverdance is coming from that tradition, just with more lights yeah i was gonna say with more, more tech <laughs> a different facing yeah. well, and so and it's been brought into the palace like in a in a very clear way it's been brought into a spatial relationship and a, a relationship of doers and not doers that is potentially different than the folk tradition but yes it's absolutely a more populist mm-hmm and in some ways, because it's so specific, it, like it is culturally specific, Riverdance, mm -hmm. mm -hmm. um, that actually allows, like it's easier for me to not judge, but be interested and go to something specific at all, in fact, than it is in general. I mean, one of my struggles with some of this stuff in Canadian theater is that there's that there really is the theater for white people. This thing you mentioned about like the, that, that people who aren't white are writing theater for white people. Mm -hmm. And I go to it and I'm just like, Oh, I hate theater for white people. <laughs> like I'm not, I'm no more interested in it because it's made by somebody who's not, who's not white. Like wanderers actually felt like a well-made Canadian play to me in hmm. the way that makes me want to run away from it. I wish I had seen yeah, it, actually. Um, and in some ways, I wish 
in being able to talk about it, I had stayed, but it's, it's structure, you know, interlocking stories over a generation in which identity is revealed. Like, I feel like I've been watching that, whether that's a play about how Canada, how grandpa found his Canadian identity overseas, Mm -hmm. storming the beaches or, you know, like that story and that struck and that way of structuring plays um, to me is is very standard Toronto. Like there's right. nothing that dramaturgy is the one that I mostly see in, in plays. So it did it didn't feel like it was f- like I wanted it to be more specific, actually. Right. Yeah, I think, I mean, one of the things I recall Marjorie writing about in her blog post was about how um, the play was compared to um, Kim's Convenience and to Blasted. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that was also that question of how, you know, well, we all do that shorthand, right, to to find the thing that's closest to it or an analogy. And, And that, of course, the the other brown person play that's kind of out and about is the one. So, so the, the comparison starts to feel very, um, ex, uh, very superficial. I was going to say lazy. Lazy is a nice word too. <laughs> or a not nice word. Well, and so Accurate. it just made me wonder, and you know, this is the thing that where I start to feel angry, but, um, so I'll try and hold that in. Um, is what kind of work do artists need to do to provide context for their work? You know, do we need to hear that, hear about the storytelling traditions from this particular culture or the way that information is passed down? Um, and, And then, you know, there's just this whole other load of things to do on the pile of the of the artist who's working in a specific cultural tradition so that you know that becomes a barrier to participate right Mm -hmm. because eventually somebody's gonna like oh my god i have to do so much extra work to just explain to people what this piece is about i feel like the responsibility is on both sides um nobody thinks twice i certainly don't when i used to produce shakespeare about sending my parents the synopsis two weeks before and then calling them two days before the show and explaining the entire plot to them. Um, That's the work that I did to make sure that my parents, who both speak English as a second language, would have a really good time at Shakespeare, Mm. right? Because even those of us who speak English as a first language, it's not the English we speak. Uh, We still have to look up words. Um, That's true. So how must it be for somebody who speaks English as a second or third language? I would put that work in and they would put that work in. But I do feel like the responsibility is on both sides, either to provide the resources and the context and the materials from the company that's producing. But the audience member also needs to do their work. To read the synopsis. Well, hopefully something more interesting than reading the synopsis. (laughs) And to think about it. I mean, it's, you know, so there's, because there's also, you know, in the laziness of comparison, which (laughs) I remember, um, like, Taylor Mack, a drag performer, Mm -hmm. talks about comparison being death and sort of refuses people's attempts to do that with his work. 
The telephone. The telephone. I'm going to go turn it off. We're in an actual office. It's very exciting. Oh, and it like speaks aloud. It speaks. Whoa, there's so many phones. I'm so... We'll just have to ignore that. We'll just have to ignore it. Um, Yeah, so Taylor Mac talked about comparison being a form of violence that you're always Hmm. sort of forcing somebody into something that isn't appropriate. And in, in the context of, you know, Martin Morrow, who's turning around a review in one night, you know, I felt that, you know, the same Conte Demore, which has been the big mm-hmm. internet brouhaha of Toronto, <laughs> um, is the same. Like, it, that, I didn't know what I thought about that show until at least noon or three o'clock the next day, or I couldn't even formulate what I thought. And so there's this, part of the problem is in the devastation of the newspaper industry. Mm-hmm. And it's not going to get better. I don't think we should count on theater success being the recovery of the Globe and Mail. Um, is is that people like it is the laziest thing to do? Is like oh that's that's like this other play because they're both immigrants, um, and it's like this other play because there's both people who poke their eyes out. <laughs> it's. It is lazy, and I do understand that people are often turning these reviews around in a matter of hours, but I got to the point where I stopped reading a lot of the reviews, especially when they were of culturally specific work, because I'm going to go so far as to say that I don't think that many of the reviewers in the city are actually qualified to Mm. review that work, because if you don't know anything about it, and you don't know anything about the tradition it comes from... How can you review it responsibly? And you, I mean, we have to remember that Comte d'Amour is a culturally specific. Oh, absolutely, it is and I a think, and, and I think work. one of the the strengths of that show for me is, in fact, there, like it really is theater for white people, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and they know it, and it's theater for rich white people in the palace who are all vaguely liberal, <laughs> and they are, and it's an attempt to push those people. I mean, in, in a talkback session, what was interesting is the guy, and who knows what has been said to him, like, whether how accurate this is, his impression was he's gotten almost exclusively, the show is called racist by only white people, that brown people never call it racist, that brown people are like, oh yeah, that's an accurate description of how you guys act. Yeah. Oh, I see what you're trying to do. <laughs> yeah. I am, and, and there's, they can say it's uncomfortable, Mm-hmm. But he's he says it's an uncomfortable show, um, but the that in fact the the vehemence of response is largely by white men, right? Which because is who this show is very attacking. much aimed at. Like it is, well, because they see it as something that's extreme, mm-hmm. right? And a person of color watching it knows better. They know it's not extreme; it's reality, and it's hard to come up against that. I think when you don't think that your behavior can be compared to what you're seeing on stage, which you perceive as being wildly offensive. Yeah. It's hard to accept that you might be a part of that. And I think that to me is, you know, I, it, the show is so different from anything that I would ever make, but Mm -hmm. that was actually its strength to me as I was like, Oh, you were premiering at Avignon 
like you you were always going to be the court and you have made a show that risked defending the court and that's actually rare to actually do that rather than just sort of give the court a slight lashing mm -hmm. that sort of feels invigorating which is I feel like the <laughs> and you know it's I never wanted I I didn't see Pig at Buddy's this year because I just wasn't in the mood on it like it wasn't and it's that it was just like I don't need that in my life right now and that's fine um but then I saw Venus in Furs mm -hmm. at Canadian Stage and every other theater in the North America. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I really wanted to see Pig after it. I was like, oh, I missed this great comparison. Because Venus in Furs is like the light slap. The like, oh, ho, ho, isn't bondage exciting? <laughs> and, but like, oh, and aren't women strong? Except this one's a god. Like, right. don't worry. She's not a real woman. She's a god. Um, <laughs> And because we like, and I was like, oh, that's so boring. Like if she had been a real woman from Brooklyn, it would have been a much more interesting play. But no, she had to be a god to be that powerful. And I was like, oh. I didn't know what I thought about that show after I saw it. But I do remember the opening night performance at the Bluma. It was, I mean, people leapt to their feet. They loved it they well, loved it and it's very very strong acting yeah like on just a, on a technical level it's very very strong acting mm -hmm. um but i think this question so, of expertise rupo goes back to also something he said about i mean this thing that all shows should be for all audiences it's not possible it's not possible and it's not even why would it even be desirable yeah like why would nobody, you desire that? Then nobody tries to do that anywhere else. Nobody tries to do that anywhere else. And honestly, if you try and do that, you end up with the equivalent of Transformers, the movie, right? Like something that nobody can hate, but nobody really loves. Everyone just kind of watches it. And why would you ever aspire to that? And so there's a quote, like, why? And this would be a question for... Like that... I mean, this question of the palace and like whether it is, do you want to in, invade <laughs> or infect the palace? Like, so, you know, is it, I mean, you did stuff at a, like, why, what's the deal with which theaters to choose? I guess is where I'm going. Like, why is Wanderers at Buddies, which is not going to help them draw a, a different group of people like it's it's a it's a signifier of a certain wing of the palace do they want well, to draw different people i don't know that's a good question well you know where would you put the show where would you put the show um that show i don't know where i would put it um, because it's, as soon as you start, as soon as you start like determining where people should be, then we start to get that the the ghettoizing effect of like, well, this is the brown show, and the brown show should go in the brown theater, mm -hmm. you know. And I don't, I don't agree with that. I don't think that that's, um, I don't think that that is uh, useful or helpful because I think uh, we need to touch in with what our long term objective is. 
And I don't think our long-term objective is for every show to find its audience and for every show to be appreciated. I think our long-term objective is to see um, a, a Canadian theatre ecology overall over the entire country that is vibrant and interesting and that reflects the people who live in this country, which doesn't really happen right now. And that there be an open and honest dialogue between practitioners about the different ways that we practice and for that to be okay. But that the venue, I mean, like, I totally, I hear the thing around ghettoization and its unhelpfulness. Um, but I also, like, I, as, as a maker, like, as a maker who's been mostly showing in bars for the past two years because I don't want to be in a theater. I don't want all the signifiers that go with it. Um, I also understand that the idea that I need to make a work that I can sell to an artistic director who runs a large venue and I need to deal with all the trappings that come with that. I don't want that because I want an audience that doesn't like that and doesn't okay. think that that's for them. And but so they, I but... need to be somewhere else in order to get the people that I want to come to the show in the way But these that people are still working within the context of theater, of contemporary <laughs> conventional theater. So to me, the question is like, wow. To me, the, in my practice, the question is, why would you want to? So Jacob and I agree kind of on that. like. Uh, you know, my frustration is when people say the, the, the institution is not accepting me. I'm banging my head against the door. I cannot be accepted on my own terms. Like, well, why are you trying to bang into the institution? Why don't you make your own thing? Like, that's my, um, that's my approach to this problem. But I also recognize that there are a lot of artists for whom the institution means something and that it's something to aspire to and inclusion into that is important. And I actually think you know, I'm glad that there are artists like that because that is also really important to change the institution in some way. So, you know, when you say, why are they at Buddies? And I don't know, like, the politics of the Toronto venue scene. Like, I don't know what, how available venues are, what each venue means, what kind of people go there. Like, I don't know how um, loyal people are to their venue I don't know any of that, but I think, well, why are they, why did they choose that one? I'm guessing because it's where it's located in affordability. Mm-hmm. And, and the buddies and because, is more and because less he wrote palace. a play to be performed in a theater. Yeah. The, the question about banging your head against a wall to get into an institution, I, I'm with you, Adrian. Like, I can see both sides of it. Um, I do feel, though, as somebody, who doesn't work for what we would call a culturally specific company and doesn't get funded by anything having to do with being brown. We're not a brown company and nobody would describe us as that. Um, We're not visible until we're part of an institution or part of the so-called mainstream. And I, as a person, refuse to let myself be marginalized like I, I will push and I will bang my head against a wall. I'm not interested. Um, I'm not interested in being pushed to the sidelines. And I think that that's where some of these feelings come from. 
uh, is that of course people of color should be on stage at Shaw and at Stratford and at ATP and the NAC and across the country because it means something for better or worse. Those institutions mean something to our society, which has been built up around them. And we're not visible until we're there, the same way that we're not real until we're on a TV show, and we're not real until we're giving the news, and we're not real until we're starring in a movie for most people. And that kind of goes back to the baby conversation we were having at the beginning, I think, that the more comfortable, you'll get more comfortable with something the more you see it. And if you never see something reflected around you in the so-called mainstream culture, you never have a chance to become acquainted with it. Mm -hmm. So what can we do? Yeah. So I asked the question like, what can be done? And you know, I'm not talking about tomorrow, although tomorrow's good, but I'm actually thinking about five, 10, 25 years down the road, like what people are doing things. I don't think we want to discount the efforts that a lot of um, a lot of our leaders are trying, a lot leaders inside of our community are trying to, um, initiatives they're trying to put in. Mm -hmm. There are things that are happening. Maybe not enough by some people's standards, but I think that it's important to acknowledge that people, that this is the front of some people's mind. Yep. Um, what can we do? Like my fear with the, this conversation, like I think Jacob, you probably have a different fear. My fear is that the um, conversation, because there's always a new generation of artists who are encountering similar problems, and then and then uh, discovering the 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 push that you describe, Rupal, of being pushed to the margins, that that these conversations start to feel like a lot of complaining, mm -hmm. and to me. Um, that's not productive. I mean, it's productive to up to a point, but how do we get past that, um, this, the generations of complaining and start uh, doing things differently? I mean, I think building up, I mean, one of the things that I think about around the margins conversation is that if the margins start building up, um, then like that center, the center, especially of, of theater in some ways is collapsing. And so mm -hmm. it's, you know, it's one thing to be banging your head against the institution, but it's uh, like almost ideally I'm, you know, I, I'm trying to think of some Titanic metaphor about like, it's not, it's not the best time to be clamoring to get into the Titanic um, is to build up, is to build up, for example, respected and respectable critical discourse in other spaces other than the two mainstream newspapers in Toronto mm -hmm. or the two mainstream newspapers in whatever city has them left. Uh, and that's available on the internet. And that does require a degree of education of those reviewers. It, you know, the, I always think the the French new wave was invented because they wrote about each other. And they they generated themselves as a thing that could mm. be strong Steady. enough to stand out. Right. And so I think about that 
as you know where where I get this thing about we're not recognized you know night swimming or small wooden shoe like yes I get more creds the moment I say oh and then we've been at Harbor Front and Buddies right and that's but also that's creds within a certain space and so I'm looking to try to build up alternative spaces to that that don't rely on some of the same power structures, mm-hmm. especially around around reviewers and um, gatekeepers. Like it just changes the gates. <laughs> um, and to build up that that outsider position until it's actually uh, a full thing. I mean, I think, you know, were I running a mainstream theater, then then I could have different and casting Shaw you know like mm-hmm. what what can happen at Shaw is very different from what I can do um, but but it does and you know and I can keep talking about the construction of power and the construction of whiteness and and maleness because that's the position I'm coming from and so I I'm like I'm certainly in all of these conversations I'm very much like I'm the white dude um, but I can I can talk about that, and I can talk about diversity of practice and wanting to see it. And I can. I wish see... there was a panel. To... Oh, sorry. Sorry. Go, Go on. Well, I was going to say I wish there was a panel discussion at Pact that was called the construction of whiteness. Like I just, you know, like there's always a panel discussion about diversity, and I just wish that there was a a panel discussion about okay, like let's just talk about what white means yeah yeah you know and and um like it's something it <laughs> it's is not nothing yeah. it's not nothing and and nobody really talks about it and like let's just talk about like there is this huge vast very rich cultural history um from many different parts of the world that are kind of mixed together to make this idea of whiteness mm-hmm. up and and to unpack that a little bit. And then at the very end, I think I would say, now, everything we've talked about is just scratching the surface of this, you know, you know, very robust, beautiful cultural tradition. And just take a moment to consider any other face other than white in the room and imagine that behind them is a humongous, beautiful, vast, complicated cultural tradition, just like the one we talked about. Like that is the reality of the world. That each one of us has this equally amazing house that we live in, and and I, you know, it's not, it's not anybody. Nobody's doing anything wrong. Like it's just what we're born to, which is self-centeredness, and not being able to see that, not being able to project ourselves that far out of our bodies. And we're too busy to do that. Um, Rupal, what do you think we should do? I'm sorry, I'm digesting. It's so it's so complex. And I can feel in my mind the sort of downward spiral, right, of of the complexity of the situation. But I'll be honest, I actually don't know what we should do about it. Uh, and Adrian, I hear you when you say like, we are tired of complaining and trust me, I'm tired of hearing the complaints, but the fact remains that the problems are still there 
and they're so complicated and so deep-seated in our society that sometimes I feel a bit like I don't know where to start because everything connects back to something else, right? I think that, um, yeah, I, I hear you. Um, and I totally agree with you on that downward spiral. Um, and I wonder if, you know, as much as it is kind of exhausting to think about, but I think that there is a lot of extra work that needs to be done. So whether it's contextualizing the work or, um, I say this to Nathan, like when I walk into a room for an audition, like I feel like I have to, for a, a colorblind audition, <laughs> I don't only have to be good. I have to be better, yeah. I have to be better than anybody else in the room. Mm -hmm. um, so that's extra work. Uh, and so I think that's one thing as a as the brown community, <laughs> which is hilarious to think about. Um, just like there's no Asians in Asia, like people in Asia don't can refer to themselves as Asian, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Um, that uh, our job is to make extraordinary work, and is to push uh, the, for the quality. Um, so that it's not only good, it's great. It's amazing. It's better than anything else out there. And I think that that, and to encourage each other to do that. And I think part of that is this idea of critical discourse or dialogue that Jacob brings up. Because, you know, when you, you talk about seeing a play where you're like, oh, I didn't like it. And these are the reasons why. Mm -hmm. For the artists to be able to go like, you know what? You're right. We need to work on whatever it is. You, you know? And the heart, and to have that thick, thick skin, because unfortunately, I feel like we're, um, if a play has brown people in it, it's really not allowed to fail. Because if it fails, it fails worse than anything. Yeah. If it succeeded, it succeeds. It succeeds better than anything. It's um, it's a phenomenon. It's amazing, <laughs> like right. that anything you know. And then, and, and if it sucks, it's like you know how many plays I see that every year that suck, but this one sucks so much well and this more. is i felt bad about the wanderers because it's his first play like it shouldn't have been at buddies with that much money spent like my first place certainly shouldn't have been you know like i was pitching it i was pitching my first play to places but i like it was at a certain level like i just want i mean part of it is like make more work i mean raging we've talked about the, like the mentality arrived at from black box of just like you've got to burn through a bunch of stuff to get good and because there's so few opportunities mm -hmm. then that that process and 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 in this case you know he's an amazing actor and so that transposes into this like oh well you've got this show and and i would love to talk to him now but like how did that go like what did you like what in the process what what in the three-week rehearsal process, like what the rest of it seemed very standard Toronto theater. Like what else can we change in that process? And in part, how can we make more work so that we get great sooner? Like it's, it's, it's very hard to make great work. And part of how you do it is part of how I've tried to approach it is by making lots of work. Um, and learning each step about what I liked and what worked and what didn't work and where my audience was and, and how I wanted to deal with them. But it, I want to, yeah, yeah, sorry. 
I keep interrupting no, you. I keep I keep fading out, which is <laughs> <laughs> that's right. You don't use periods; you use ellipses. Yeah. I would like to make a show called Deconstructing Whiteness that's made by brown people. Well, it's like, uh, did you see, did either of you see the shipment? The I young missed Lee? the shipment and I was disappointed that I missed it because I heard it was fantastic and challenging uh, and kind of along the lines of what Adrian is saying. Yeah. Uh, Adrian, you might... do you know about it? Uh, I know about it. I don't know a lot about it, but you might be able, I'd have to check on the internet, but you might be able to watch it on the On The Boards TV channel. Oh, yeah. I'll mm. I'll do some linking around to find it. Yeah. But all that to say that it's a show, Young Jean Lee, mm-hmm. um, who I think is doing amazing work on this stuff in a American and North American context. Um, yeah, it's it's a show performed entirely by African Americans, and then at the very end, uh, spoiler alert, <laughs> um, is revealed that they're they're playing white people. And right. so everything that they've been saying up to then, which is sort of like funny and okay and cool and charming because they're erudite, upper middle class New Yorkers mm-hmm. um, who are black is then suddenly entirely recast and is like much of it's deeply offensive. Right. Suddenly. Right. If it's, if they're playing white people. Right. Um, and does a sort of flip about assumptions and understandings. Um, yeah, that sounds great. That was that was really good. Um, but I also like just people. Um, yeah, it's. I mean, I uh, you know having conversations about you know to. It's just casting, trying to figure out how to become. You know, I only work with my friends, but I try to make new friends. And how to deal with that in a society in which I know less brown people than I know white people. And theater schools are pumping out less brown people than white people. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, and this is where that deep hole, like where yes. we go back to the at spiral. the beginning, this is yeah. the spiral that gets us back to the baby and says yeah. like, how about the babies meet more babies <laughs> of well, a different color? And then in, I think that's a great idea. Yep. Yeah. And I think that's part of it. I think part of this is generational. Yeah, speed dating. Speed dating for for artists. So it's it's all about making connections, all about network, and it's all about like social network because theater is a a social form. So imagine like the um, in Vancouver they have the cold reading series, um, and you show up and it's basically a big party and people bring their their screenplays and then they cast it on site. And then you read it, and then you have drinks at intermission, then you read the rest of the thing. Or not intermission. But um, so imagine an event like that where it's specifically, like, you have to do a lot of outreach and go, like, okay, look, people, we don't know each other. Yeah. Like, let's let's start to meet each other. And, and if you're serious about it, like, let's hang out once a month, once every two months, yeah. come together. And it is. And, and yeah. speed date. And, mm-hmm. Like, structurally, make it structured. I mean, I live in Ottawa. I don't, I think there's like two brown actors. I mean, I remember uh, Jacob Wren and Nadia Ross mm-hmm. did, what's the show called? Recent Experiences, uh, which is a great show in lots of reasons. And it's a, 
it's a family drama in which half the family is white and half the family is black mm -hmm. as actors, but right. never is race referred to. But they did a huge amount. I think they got a, they were funded to like audition brown people. Right. They were like, we don't know anybody. We know there are all these amazing actors right. in the city who we don't know, and we need the time. You know, which to go out and meet them. Weirdness, but yeah. to go out and meet and you know to to see people work because that's how. Yeah. And then the the question then is like, what was the legacy of that? Have they worked with any of those people again, or was that, um, or you know, because there's you could also. <laughs> I haven't mm -hmm. seen the show. I don't know these people. But you could also make an argument that that's exploitative. That you're going out to seek um, mm -hmm. racially, culturally specific group for to to uh, fulfill your artistic vision mm -hmm. without any kind of transformative or legacy left within that community. So, you know, and that I'm yep. borrowing language from community arts yep. um, um, philosophy. But I think that that you know, there's a little bit of, of um, quote-unquote slumming or cultural tourism at play if it's not and doesn't necessarily feel sincere. Mm -hmm. If there's no kind of, like, commitment to, you know, oh, yeah, we want to meet all these people and do this thing because it's our artistic vision. And then, you know, maybe we'll find a couple people that we really jibe with, mm -hmm. who really challenge us. I mean, this is This would have been my question as well, right, is... Did they ever work with any of those people again, or did they just continue to work with the same Caucasian actors that played the one half of the family who they already knew? Right. Right. And again, I don't know either of them, and I don't know the play, and I don't really know their work. Um, but that would be my first question, because I feel a little bit like that happens with audiences sometimes in Toronto, is that somebody like Soul Pepper will do Kim's Convenience, or there are a number of theaters around who will do a play that's culturally specific. And then they will market, 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 and outreach, 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 outreach into specific communities and then somehow assume that that means that all those communities will show up in their audiences again the next time they do a play that was written by a white male 60 years ago. And they never show up. And then the responsibility huh. is put on them. Well, we invited them, we included them, and then they never came back. And I feel a little bit like that's the parallel that I that I hear in yeah. terms of audience and speaking to somebody who's been asked by theater companies in the city to go and do outreach to brown people it's actually something I've stopped doing because they don't want a true relationship with the community they want bums and seats and then they want those people to come back for their Chekhov or their Moliere or their Shakespeare and that's just not realistic and and again I mean it, it cycles and it's and it's the hard cycle back to is it's not realistic and it's not you know it's like um i don't i sh don't necessarily want to see every play in anybody's season mm -hmm. the idea that it's the same audience for every show in a in a major season seems a little weird to me um and so that thing of, of, you know, like, yes, I totally hear what you're saying. Like, oh, we, we're going to do, we're going to do one play and that play is going to bring in X group of people. And then X group of people 
are going to be locked in and mm-hmm. we don't have to worry about them you know their their cycle will come back in three years we've got we've got our diversity cycle every three years we right. we try a different group um, or whatever and that's ridiculous to think that those people will come back but well, i don't necessarily like again i'm like i don't see shows in languages that aren't my first language yeah I but just, there's I, a lot of people who do because they have people oh, i know do. i know yeah. but but so yeah yeah i mean wouldn't it be cool I mean, we're in the world of dreaming, though. But, like, wouldn't it be cool if there's a theater company, say it was in whatever, it was in actually the venue was situated in a, a neighborhood that was had a particular, <laughs> let's say, Korean, for the sake of Kim's convenience. Sure. <laughs> hey. um, and that they say, you know what? Let's start to establish a relationship with this community. Sure. And it will start with Kim's convenience. And then we'll be able to use our our... Just follow me. Just yeah. stick with me for a second mm-hmm. here. We'll start doing some research. We'll start meeting some people. We'll start doing some plays from other Korean-Canadian artists across Canada, of which there are quite a few. We'll be able to start looking into the the, the theatrical history of this cultural practice, you know, like what these people do. Suddenly you've got... Uh, you could start to have collaborations down the line. But that's not something that happens in a year or three years or in a cycle. That's like a 10-year commitment to building a relationship that's based on the fact that you're sharing space, right? And it takes work. It takes real work, which I think often people aren't willing to do or they don't have time to do. And they certainly couldn't... But it can be certainly linked to artistic inquiry, right? Mm -hmm. Like, Like, I'm a Pinder specialist, pause but why like why not be a specialist in creating contemporary canadian theater based on where you are like here we are this that's another idea for the idea farm but but and but what i think is really important about it and is a little bit of my is buddies the right place is questions of neighborhood like i actually do i mean especially in toronto that that neighborhoods are coded in Toronto, that I don't travel neighborhoods. I don't like that. That changing that seems like extra work. <laughs> you know what but I mean? Like, and there... so, so finding a way to make a connection that is real and location based and authentic in, in, in that position of, um, of, Korea, for example, like if I had a, th- if you, if there was a theater around Bloor and Clinton, mm-hmm. that they really need to do that. Like they've got the community there. They've got a diverse demographic of that com- community in terms of age, accessible, and it would be crazy not to, um, to say that Soul Pepper is now going to do that in the distillery the whitest place on earth um, is seems a little unlikely to me. Like it doesn't seem like the best physical location to do that. And I think that that physical location does matter in theater. And I think like, and I think it, you know, it matters for all theaters, not just culturally specific, like all, all culturally specific Mm -hmm. theaters, including economic groups. 
Did we solve it? Um, my final question. Mm-hmm. Um, no, we haven't solved it yet, but I have four minutes before I have to mm-hmm. walk out the door. So I thought I'd just throw this one. Yeah, little mic drop. Out Good. there, which is, um, well, I'm just curious about how we can um, encourage or empower everyone mm-hmm. inside of our community regard you know who are all kind of working together to be able to talk about culture and race without fearing being called a racist it's very like, hard it's very hard because i was you know i was just surprised just having this conversation yesterday it feels sometimes like all i talk about uh, is race and culture and diversity and representation but I often hear people say that they're tired of explaining things to white people and they're tired and they're tired and they're tired. And I think, but the minute you get defensive and the minute your back goes up and you start to criticize, the person you're speaking to shuts down. And I think that is part of the reason why we can't have a healthy conversation about race is it's, it's both, it's both sides, right? That people who don't have the experiences that I do in life need to educate themselves and the people who do feel like they're sometimes getting the short end of the stick or they're sometimes feeling like they have to act as an ambassador for everybody who looks like them also Mm -hmm. just need to accept that we don't get anywhere by by criticizing even if we want to because nobody likes being told that they're wrong or that someone who looks like them might be at fault and that to me is the heart of it is how do we get past that while still being honest because i certainly don't want to spend the rest of my life explaining things to white people but i also want to reserve the right to be angry because mm-hmm. there are a lot of things to be angry about i think you should have a memoir called explaining things to white people <laughs> <laughs> um, okay a, uh, i have okay. i have one more question this one is for jacob okay because i'm i have all questions oh, whatever it doesn't matter yeah. you don't have to answer it um I just know you guys can keep talking after I right. leave. The um, here's another hard question: like, how do we talk about the the excellence mm-hmm. of uh, the work, whether it's the writing or the acting or this lighting design, um, without being cri- criticized for being racist? Yeah. Um... Because not sure. liking the acting or the lighting or the direction or the set design is not the same as because people, you know what I mean? Like it's not the same as as um, not understanding the cultural context of the work. Mm-hmm. I can say I can't see the actors, and that doesn't seem to be a choice to me. That seems to be right. Like, well, that's a, that when, someone made a choice, and I think that it was the less strong choice. <laughs> Someone made, a choice made a choice to set well, that light maybe, at 30% okay, this, and it was not this right. This helping me though. Be, yeah, it, I don't know. I don't think we're talking about right or wrong. Like somebody made a choice and this is how it affected me. Yeah. That to me is how we need to start having this discussion. Not about as if there's some kind of objective truth. Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. but this is the way the story was told. It was told in episodes and this is how it affected me. Mm-hmm. This is the way the acting was which was whatever it was. And this is how it affected me yeah. as an audience member. This is, you know, and for the cr- critics and the reviewers to place themselves inside of the, of the critique 
honestly yeah. and to be able to say like this is who I am and this is what I saw and this is how it affected me and this is uh, maybe that's harder work too. I think it. I mean, it's certainly more revealing work, and it and it takes them out of the position of the general authority. But I think it's, for example, what is very successful about Kelly Neistruck's zero star review of Contemore, and not at all successful about some of the online post reviews by people who walked out. Um, is that he really did that. Like, he really said, like, I had a visceral negative reaction to this show. And I think, like, and all of these reasons. And they, I was in a conversation in which they were talking. Kelly was there and the director of the show. And they were like, oh, we loved your review. Like, we didn't we didn't feel like you weren't paying attention. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, we well, disagree yeah. about, but also we can see your point. Like, we don't know. We don't. I mean, they were great about saying, like, yeah, we're not sure if we're doing the right thing here. It's only, it's one of the things we can do is this thing we're doing. And we don't know if this is the best thing, but we're trying something. Um, right. And so, and so you're, you're right. It's confusing to us also about the fact that, you know, we make a lot of money off of this show by being brought to the people who were supposed to be criticized. Like, he's like, yes, this is all very complicated. Um, where I think, yeah, where that ability to say, like, this is what this, you know, and that's just what's supposed to be good criticism, but this is what happened and this is how, and this is what I think they meant to do, you know, and that that's part of it, right? Like, is uh, what what does the, Frank Cox O'Connell talks about that, like, what what what's the intent Mm-hmm. Did they accomplish it well? That's one stage of, that's of one criticism, way. right? Yeah, that's, that's one, one way. That's mm-hmm. one way. But then, and then there's a next step of like, how did it make me? What was my response to it? So I can say, you know, right, because they can only know about. I'm sorry, I'm interrupting yeah. you because I have to leave. Yeah. But they, a reviewer can only know what the intention is, is if that intention is communicated, whether it's through the program yeah. or the prep or Rupal sending them something mm-hmm. two weeks in advance and then phoning them up and answering questions. You know, like yeah. how they need to. If if that if you want your work to be seen and judged on a particular intent then you have to communicate that intent nothing can stand on its own anymore it's going to be misunderstood well nothing does like you know by the time the new spider-man superman batman movie comes out i will have consumed a lot of media about it like the idea that anything in our culture stands alone Mm -hmm. as an art object yeah is is just not true it comes you know standalone means comes with status quo received knowledge right like, right right i wish we could talk about this longer because yeah. i did i sent you guys that crispin glover yeah um, i didn't get link, to look at and it and that was one piece of art that i went into with absolutely no background i had absolutely no idea what i was in for mm-hmm. and then i watched it and it was extremely it was extreme very very extreme i think he used pretty much every offensive image you could possibly imagine and and anything any kind of taboo he put into this film and then the only reason that i didn't walk out was because he was going to be speaking afterwards and i thought i just have to know if this is on purpose Mm -hmm. (laughs) it can't like it has to be on purpose or else this is like it's 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 the only thing i've ever started to like really 
really mm. wonder like who are you and of course it's on purpose and i don't know that the his what he's intending for it to say is what is being said but that's a whole other conversation about and i think that thing about that is it on purpose i mean one of the problems in the make excellent work or the one of the needs for the make excellent work in my counter make lots of work until it's excellent is like i'm not sure is to know that everything on stage is on purpose mm-hmm. and that all the signifiers have been thought about and that especially for white people making shows that just isn't true like there there are so many things especially i think around race and gender and class that just aren't being thought about mm-hmm. and so ways that things are signifying or systemic oppression that they're supporting aren't even being talked about in the rehearsal room there's not um, like there's not a choice about like oh this is really problematic that we're doing this is that okay like is that is that because we're trying to point out something problematic is that because we're looking for change is that because we believe in in whatever we're saying but it's just not being considered and so then when i watch it i can't say why on earth like uncomp the more everything i saw i could be like hmm that's a choice like they they right. They have really made a choice here. And the wonder is, I was like, I'm not sure if those acting choices, like, I don't know if that's a lack of rehearsal. Like, I don't know what's going on there, but I can't quite, I didn't feel secure in giving. You can't see the piece. I can't see the piece and I can't, and it wasn't specific. And that's where, for me, specificity does it. I'm like, oh, I may or may not like that choice, but boy, can I see it. And I can, and um, then I can understand how what I it does. I feel to me. like this is the beginning of a whole other conversation that is also really interesting. <laughs> yeah, but for another day. Well, maybe yeah. Rupal can come back. Okay. Maybe Rupal can come back if she that would feels... be fun. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm I'm gonna leave. Do I'm it. gonna leave right now because I just am recalling how much Elkie was crying when I left, oh. and so I really feel like I should go and pick him up. Um, but I'll, so I'll leave, I'm going to hang up and I'll let Jacob do the sign okay. off and Rupal, it was so nice to, um, see, see you, quote unquote, <laughs> see you in this way. You too. Nice and to we'll hear your soon. voice. Yeah. Nice to hear your voice. We'll talk to you again soon. Okay. Okay. Bye. Bye. It feels weird to continue. Um, and theater, if we could just all have seen the same thing, it would be. A little easier. It would be a little easier. Maybe that's something we should do if we're going to talk again. Is all see the same thing and then talk about it. It's it's just hard because of oh, because of Adrian. And yeah. All right. Um, so you've been listening to uh, the SWS podcast, which is a a co effort of the Spiderweb Show and Small Wooden Shoe. Uh, anyone else with the SWS initials can get in touch. Um, if you want to be a part of it too I don't know anyways uh, you can find us online smallwoodenshoe.org has links to this we'll put show notes and stuff like that so we'll try to find the Crispin Glover and there's that thing um, how to talk to racist there's there's a very good online thing that I wanted to bring up this guy I'm forgetting his name but he talks about like how to tell somebody they're being racist.
uh, and it's all around telling them what what they're what you just did is racist, right? As opposed right. to you You're are racist, racist. absolutely. Um, that's a that, useful distinction, <laughs> and that that distinction is at least a step towards people not getting super defensive. Yes, we need that um, step. And so that stuff will all be up at smallwoodenshoe.org and at spiderwebshow.ca. And there I think you, you navigate through to experiments. And we will be back semi-regularly. Thank you for listening.